Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, business out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you like what you hear, you want to help us out, want to do us a favor, want to spread the word about the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And also don't forget to follow us on social media at Snapshots in Hockey History on Facebook and at Snapshots in on Twitter. Okay, a few weeks ago, you heard me talk about how much I hate moving. I found something I hate worse than moving. It's when you've completely edited an entire intro and outro and then somehow delete it. Ladies and gentlemen, who just did that? This guy right here. So this is going to be pretty short because I really don't feel like recording an entire uh, intro and outro again. But a couple of things I do kind of want to bring up. For one, I'm going to let everyone in on a little bit of a secret. I'm actually a horrible person. I'm not even kidding when I say that. Last Monday, when I dropped the newest episode and we talked about the 82-83 Washington Capitol season with Greg Thaberge, I said that Glenn Payne had referred over Greg I was completely wrong about that. I don't know why I said that. I don't even know a Glenn Payne. It was actually Glenn Sharp that did. So Glenn, sorry about that. I do appreciate you referring Greg over and I had a great time talking to Greg and I'm sure everybody enjoyed hearing his interview. We talked about in part one, the Washington Capitals and kind of his ascension through the system, David Poyle, the big trade that took place that brought Rod Langway, as well as Craig Lachlan and several other players to Washington. And in part two, we talk about some road stories, traveling. He talks about some of his friends on the team, talks about the first playoff series, does a really, really good job of kind of wrapping up the year. And I think everybody will really enjoy part two, especially if you enjoyed part one. I mentioned before that this is the second time I've actually recorded it. Now it's actually the third time because I just got a phone call from my wife a few minutes ago. So I'm not going to try to make this any longer. We're going to cut to the interview right now. Please enjoy part two of our interview on the 82-83 Washington Capitals season with Greg Thaberge. We talked about off the ice becoming friendly with Maruka. Is there anybody else that you developed some good chemistry with off the ice? Oh, yeah. There was uh, off the ice, there was a, quite a few guys. Uh, Glenn Curry, uh, we call him Kid Curry. Mm-hmm. He was my roomie. Uh, he was a pretty funny, quiet, dry sense of humor guy. Um, Alan Howarth, uh, again, uh, we call him Howie. Um, the Locker, the Locker, and uh, Langway were pretty well the. Uh, the guys that led the locker room when it came to, to music and jokes and, uh, you know, just keeping everybody loose. And, uh, you know, there was uh, Bobby Carpenter again. I chum with Carps a little wee bit when we were there. Uh, Davey Perro was another goaltender. Was there for a little while um, in the early years. I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, but you talk about guys that giving you some laughs. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Nothing bad, just something maybe that was harmless that, that gave you a good laugh with your time in Washington. The one time would be, uh, well, when you're a rookie, I guess I was sleeping on the plane and a couple guys, uh, um, there's a dress code, so I'd be sleeping and they, they would cut my tie off right at, the, <laughs> right at the beginning of the knot so you can't really see it. And uh, and I, I received a fine for a dress code violation. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be one of them. I mean, that's, 
that's nothing real uh, serious. The other one would be, oh, I just would think in the dressing room, just little pranks in the dressing room uh, that would go on where you'd, you know, sometimes we'd have a phone and phones for you and there'd be something on the receiver on the ear. <laughs> Just some gags like that, but no, nothing really that I can think of uh, that would be uh, suitable for. That's <laughs> fine. Nope, nope, nope. Playing it on podcast. <laughs> We're totally cool with that. The end of the year, the Caps are continuing to roll. 1983 kicks off with the streak ending, unfortunately, in a loss against the New York Rangers. During this era, what's it like playing in Madison Square Garden, one of the most popular arenas in the world? Oh, great question. I love playing in Madison Square Gardens. When, you, when you're on the ice surface and you look up and you see that beautiful round ceiling with the curtains on it, and it's like all three-dimensional. Oh, that is something special. Yeah. And the uh, the atmosphere, too, is like a it's like a high-class uh, party atmosphere uh, where cocktails are being served, and it's like a theater, very the- very theater-like uh, atmosphere at the Madison Square Gardens. The history going back there... Um, my grandfather Clapper would have played in that uh, in that same arena, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that it's not on the ground level. It's up actually five stories up high. So you either taking an escalator, an elevator, or you're walking up the ramp. And uh, yeah, it's quite a quite a building to play. And I I suffered my first one of my first knee injuries there, um, playing on my off wing side, a right handed defenseman playing on the left side. I can remember the play. And visualize it so clear, etched straight in my mind, uh, making a pass to the right wing wall and leaving my my right knee open, and big Nick Fatio coming in. Oh and, sure, and finishing his check, and I didn't uh, read and react or process quite quick enough. It took took me out. I did a helicopter three sixty and I go down, and then I'm uh, scrape myself off the ice. I go into the trainer's room and. They had their doctor have a look at my knee, and uh, he said that at the time it was like a grade two uh, MCL sprain, or you know, not torn, but just a just a strained knee ligament. So the team goes on to Winnipeg or on the road from there, and I go back by myself to meet with our team doctor, Doctor Palumbo, or what uh, at the time. And I was just lucky I escaped uh, surgery at the time, but soon became chronic that was that same right knee i think i must have strained it three or four times through my career all the ligaments were stretched right out you talked about getting hit by nikki Foytu, who's a guy i would never want to be hit by the (laughs) 80s in the nhl was an interesting time and you are not the biggest guy out there there were fights every night you're a defenseman your job is to stop these guys that are coming back and you separated yourself and was different by being a power play specialist but by no means could you ignore your position how were you able to stop these huge guys from scoring goals every night? Yeah, in other words, how was I able to survive? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's right, Brett. To be honest with you, Brett, I I was a great observer. I, I, I pre-scouted my opposition. I knew who was on the ice. I knew who I was matched up. I knew who I could go and poke the bear or I knew I could challenge. I knew when I had to take a check or kiss the glass and you know, go through, go through just role play and let some, let, uh, if I was out there at times when Clark Gillies or one of the, the tough guys or the goons, so to speak, but they weren't the guy that I was looking for. So as long as I played my role and I took my checks and I didn't embarrass the tough guy, then I wasn't going to get uh, beat up or smoked or be challenged. And that's 
that's how you survive back in the 80s when you're a 5 foot 10 187 pound defenseman that doesn't have a whole lot of pims what i'd have 49 my one year and i think 20 something my second year so you know I, and and when i did get in a fight i remember in the got got into a fight with Brett Brent Ashton in <laughs> in Colorado for him disrespecting one of my teammates and not not me so i dropped the gloves i go at it with Ashton and I ended up getting a huge hip pointer out of the out of the fight. I I tore all my freaking oh. hip muscles. So I'm in the penalty box. Now I can't play. I'm injured. And I swear to Jesus, the, the general manager, Max McNabb, at the time, comes down into the room and just blast me for fighting <laughs> him and Roger Crozier, him and Crow. What are you doing? We didn't bring you here to fight. Next time that happens, you're going down. You're going down to the minors. Stay out of the box. We got you up here for a reason. Stay out. Stay on the ice. And got a lecture for fighting. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in an era where fighting was normal. Yeah. So all I wanted to do was just try to, you know, get rid of that stigma that was attached to me, and uh, you know, stand up for myself and get into a scrap and once in a while. And that happens, and and I take some heat for it. So it was. I was in a no-win situation. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. We're halfway through the season at this point, and the Capitals reach a huge milestone against the right. Winnipeg Jets on February 13th. The team wins their 28th win of the season, which is the most ever in franchise history. Pat right. Reagan is credited with a huge game. At this point, you talked about there being a different feeling at the beginning of the season. Towards the middle, towards end of the season, what was the feeling then? We felt that we were a playoff contender team right then, especially with the goaltending tan. And then we had Riggsy, used a big Wally goaltending stick. He could come up with some big games and steal a game for us once in a while. And then, again, alluding back to the number one goalie, Al Jensen. So we were quite confident in our goaltending staff. And Murray liked to use a short bench a lot, Brett. He, he used sometimes 3 and 4D, uh, Langway, Stevens, Englom, and then whoever was happened to playing well. Blimquist, sometimes Holt, myself, you know, he rotated around a few guys and then uh, used a, a short uh, bench up front too when he went with three lines sometimes. And we had the really good checking line of Bobby Gould, Gaetan Sheng, and Glenn Curry. And, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a pretty good mix that uh, we had going. So we, we were quite confident that we could make the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Around this time, Mike Gartner takes a puck to the eye during a game. Actually, it was during this game. This injury was supposedly terrible, and at the time, they thought it was career-threatening. Do you recall this injury at all? Yeah, I remember that very well, Brett. He came back, and that's when Mike started wearing the visor. I can't quite remember how he took sure. took the injury, but I do remember him suffering. and uh, There was some concern that uh, he may not be able to play, and uh, it's unfortunate because I was in the same, almost the same game that Way back early in my career where Ryan Walter accidentally high-stuck uh, Glenn Sharpley and, uh, and injured Sharp's eye as well, too. But eye injuries, yeah, I know. You, you have to really, you have to really uh, protect uh, your eyes. And I see a lot of uh, players coming into the league now. It's, it's, it's uh, mandatory that you use a, a visor coming into the league. Following the game, the Capitals prepare for a huge West Coast road swing. How difficult were these road trips at the time? You guys were not flying on charter flights, I don't think. When you have to go out west, how hard is that on your body? Yeah, we flew um, econo, econo uh, class with, with the public 
I particularly love road trips because oh. I was single and uh, they feed you well on the road. <laughs> they feed you well on the road and you get meal money and uh, yeah, it was um, it was challenging when you went on the road. Why? Because you had pressure. You had pressure to win, to put some points up while you're on the road and uh, and Brian Murray, uh, you know, made sure we were well prepared and uh, we were pretty serious. Oftentimes, Brett, we would have um challenges um like a five or a six game a segment where though including on that road trip that we would try to set goals for ourselves mm-hmm. and um it would it would offer incentive and that was langway and engloom and jari's idea that's what the montreal canadians did we tried to emulate our our organization and our team as as close to the montreal canadians did because they were successful. So I was going to say, if there's a team to emulate from at that time, it is the Montreal yeah. Canadiens. And it was Langway. And Langway went to the management and said, okay, here's what the Canadians did. Um, you set five and six, eight game segments away. And if we reach the team goals, then then you reward us. And you reward us by, you know, a cruise on the Potomac, all expenses paid, a dinner and or a concert uh, at the uh, Cap Center with the Rolling Stones or duffel bags personalized duffel bags, uh, books, um, you know, incentives, just little wee incentives that gave that player, that gave the players a little extra, you know, uh, uh, carrot to chase. And Langway would always rem- remind us, and it would be like almost a team goal to meet, to meet that, in the, that, that challenge that, that the team put before us. So that's how we approached some of the road games. And they, were, they, weren't, uh, they weren't the easiest, that's for sure. But we love to go out to Los Angeles in February, who, in, in, in February and uh, who wouldn't uh, I was gonna say who wouldn't like that and while you're out on this trip you guys take a little side trip and head over to Las Vegas as a team <laughs> yeah how did you know that I, I did some research man tell hey, me nice. what you remember about going to Vegas <laughs> what you can tell me we'll put it that way let's, let's put it this way I don't have a big tattoo on the side of my face that's for sure that's a start that's a start <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, that was right. What what the what the Caps organization said to us, the uh, the management said, "Okay, guys, you beat the Los Angeles Kings here. We're flying you to Vegas on the all expenses paid, and the Capitals are going to put you up in the hotel and whatever." And uh, yeah, we we made sure we won that game, and they they stuck to their word. We flew right after we flew out right after the game and landed in Vegas. And as you well know, it's open twenty four hours, so some of the guys hit the the casinos and the bars and. It was like a one or two game holiday, but here's what did happen. While we're out there, it wasn't all business. We had a we had to have uh, some dry land training. Uh, so the Caps management they hooked us up with a with some transportation over to this beautiful sports club. Uh, we had uh, they had a big gymnasium there. They had uh, racquetball and and uh, squash courts, and they had maybe a pool was in Vegas it was a beautiful facility except what goes on in Vegas too many people know what goes on in Vegas because it was a setup they 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 got us there and of course I was a rookie I don't carry a whole lot of valuables with me anyways I didn't have a whole lot of num- money anyways my pin number was not as near as some of the big cats on sure. the team but anyways they we get into the, the the locker room and I kid you not Brett they freaking robbed the they robbed the dressing room no Oh yeah, oh yeah, Langway and and Anglo, uh, Langway Anglo Maroc, all the big ticketers. They 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 carried some jewelry and some valuables, and they had a police investigation. They followed right up on it. It was a setup, and uh, 
to my knowledge, they didn't get anything back. I didn't have any valuables that went that, that went missing, but I know some of the guys lost something there. That's for sure. I was waiting for you to tell me that the coach like made you guys puke or something because you all were out drinking the night before. You guys went to the locker room, dropped your stuff off, and it was a setup that they basically robbed you guys for what you had. Well, the first part you said I was going to mention that, but I uh, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, you know, that's that's that comes with the territory too, but. Yeah, no, it was a setup. They they knew the Washington Capitals were going over there. Whoever was running the the, the fitness club at the time, and you know there weren't any. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of surveillance cameras going on in back in nineteen eighty two or eighty three uh, of of, uh, of February. So yeah, that that happened. But yeah, that happened. Uh, I I that's I got I got caught out after curfew. Well, there really wasn't a set curfew uh, to my knowledge, but it was just leave it up to your own discretion. Well. We got caught out in uh, Los Angeles uh, with uh, it's, it's sometimes when you hang around with the top dogs, you don't really get uh, you don't get as punished as much because uh, you're associated by with the same group. So we had Langway and there was a few others, uh, but Langway and Morocco were the big dogs. We got caught coming into the uh, into the hotel where we were staying at or not early hours of the morning, but yeah, they were they weren't uh, they weren't exactly curfew hours. And Murray was in the lobby with, uh, oh no, yeah, with Ivan Lebray, and he had his arms full, and he just uh, didn't say a thing. He just taking notes, and uh, yeah, that the old cliche is okay. So uh, I'll make you guys pay. We had practice the next day in L.A., and we just did the regular practice routine, and then all the guys that were guilty, well, there's a few of us: Valentine and Carpenter, Langway, myself, and Marook, and a few others. They. Uh, we stayed on the ice, and Murray skated us until everyone pretty well dropped on their knees. And uh, you know, the rest is history. And you learn, you learn by your mistakes. If I had been just me, I can tell you one thing: I would have got a one-way ticket to Hershey. To Hershey, yeah. yeah. Wow, wow. So the team kicks off the month of March with a loss against the Edmonton Oilers. I ask every defenseman this that played in the NHL in the '80s: How the hell do you stop Wayne Gretzky? Well, you don't stop Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> you just try to contain him the best you can. I played a lot against Gretzky a lot more in, in junior when he was with, with the one year with the Sault Ste. Marie's and actually played three games with us with the Peter Rowe Peets as, oh, wow. as, as a young player as well, too. But, uh, yeah, Gretzky was phenomenal to watch. He was so elusive, up on his toes. A lot of people didn't think he was a, a, a good skater, but he was probably the one of the best skaters that ever played the game. Are you kidding me? This guy could... This guy could do a 360 on his toes, and he would had could escape the the biggest checks that were about to be administrated. He had great elusiveness. He was he was the best player. Despite this loss to the Oilers during this game, the Caps then go on to lose only once over the next 11 games. They get points from Ben Gustafson, Bobby Carpenter, several nice. players we've talked about. Towards the end of the month, though, uh, the Flyers are in town on March 20th, and you guys are able to squeak out a win. There's one player in that Flyers lineup, though, that I'm kind of curious about. What's it like playing against Bobby Clark? Oh, Clarky? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I played a lot against Clarky. I'll tell you why. Because he was a penalty. He was a penalty killer. Sure. And I was a and I was a power play specialist. And yeah, the odd time he would be on bottom six forwards, laying the third line or whatever. I might be out there on five on five situation, but uh, Clarky, to be honest with you. I was intimidated by a few players, but he didn't intimidate me sure. at all. I'll tell you why. I was a pretty good skater, 
And Clarkie, if he had any weaknesses, it would be like at that that time, would be his skating. He was starting to, you know, he wasn't quite as as fast or as agile, and you know, everybody starts to slow down sooner or later. So, but he was smart. He he made up for what he didn't cover a lot of ice with with his smarts, his angling, and I still have a few. Uh, scars on my forehand where he turned a stick over and try to find that barrier between the cuff of your glove your what 15 inch cuff glove and and your elbow pad so he <laughs> would try to get you tap you right with the stick oh in. yeah he would rake he would just rake you yeah he'd just give you a good rake oh but, man uh, he was he was a master with that stick and uh, obviously a pretty good leader but uh, yeah he uh, he was fun to watch and uh, believe me you, you got to know when he's out on the ice I enjoyed playing against Philadelphia and, and Bobby Clark as well. For guys that might not have seen him play, including me, I never saw him play live. Is yeah. there a player today that you could maybe compare him to? I don't really want to say Brad Marchant, but, you know, Clark, he could certainly score. He was good around the net. I'm going to say almost like a Patrice Bergeron with a Brad Marchant personality. I think that's an excellent comparison. <laughs> The Flyers, you guys end up playing on March 20th. And yeah. next thing you know, April rolls around, and it's time for the Washington Capitals to play in their first playoff series. Yeah, I got some good memories about that. Excellent. I want to hear all about them. Unfortunately, you draw Al Arbor and the New York Islanders. Yeah. I, I know we touched on them a little bit, but what's the strategy going into this playoff series? I actually have uh, two of these uh, playoff games on DVD that I sometimes go back and reflect and try to watch and analyze. Oh, that's whatever. so cool. You wouldn't believe the atmosphere, honestly, uh, Brett, if I could play it for you. It is unbelievable atmosphere in that cap center. But anyways, here's how it started out. We had a game plan, and uh, Murray sold us a really good game plan, and we had to believe in ourselves. He was going to play with a short bench. We wanted to stay out of the penalty box because they had a great power play. You know, we had to get to Billy Smith somehow, and Melanson sometimes would play as well, too. So uh, how do you beat the Stanley Cup champions? Well, high compete level, extra efforts, and somehow you have to take away their their what? Their, their will to win? How do you do that? Like, that's awfully tough to do to take away that type of character. But we went in, and uh, we, we were prepared, I believe. We lost the first game in the island, and it was a, it was a close game. Well... We felt that we played pretty good that game. And, uh, you know, we had team meetings and uh, we went over a game plan. Scott Stevens played unbelievable for an 18-year-old. He improved so much and we were ready in the playoffs. For the second game, wow, a huge upset. We actually beat the Stanley Cup champions in their own building and it was the best out of five. So now we're tied up 1-1 and we're going back to the cap center. I swear, Brett, we thought that we could win the series and it, that's the only way you can think you can win you got to believe in yourselves and we believed in ourselves and we thought that we could beat these guys and uh <laughs> the rest of the story unfortunately did not unfold the way the way we wanted it to i remember going back and just getting our butts kicked in the next two games uh the games that i have on dvd i know one one of the games started with a seven and it didn't and it wasn't us <laughs> <laughs> But how electric, I mean, uh, living in Washington, D.C., I just saw the city come behind the Stanley Cup champions. And I know that the Washington Capitals at the time were not the most popular game in town. That was probably the Washington Redskins. But still, yeah. after everything that had happened with the Save the Caps campaign, did the city get behind you guys at all? 
Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? It was like when we made the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time, it was like it was anticlimactic. It was almost like I know we didn't win the Cup, but it felt like we were Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, we made the playoffs the first time. And, uh, yeah, I still have the Stanley Cup uh, memorabilia. They had uh, player profiles and a nice little Stanley Cup uh, sports media guide and uh yeah we were well prepared especially when we win one game on the road and uh you know well, all we had to do is is win six periods of hockey and we would have ousted the stanley cup uh, champions but uh, that that wasn't happening in one of those games i still have it on my phone i should send it to you when we're finished please i have um um, I trip Dennis Potvin on a breakaway when he's killing a penalty. Oh, you did send me that. It was awesome. It was, did I send that to you? You sent me that clip over Facebook. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Only- so you ask yourself, how does, how does a left defenseman that's killing a penalty get a breakaway on a, power, <laughs> on a power play? And I was the furthest man away from him, and I could still remember just skating and skating, and I did a like a baseball player would slide into second base head first, I sickle swing and chopped him down. I always, I would always preach this to the kids that I coach. You know, you let a guy go in on a breakaway once, that's that's fine. But the second time, you chop him down like a cherry tree. And then sometimes I would explain what that meant, and that's how I did it. I chopped him <laughs> down like a cherry tree, nice and hard. He went flying into the end boards. And, uh, yeah, that was in that playoff game. It was unbelievable atmosphere. I really enjoyed it, and I'm so... So proud of the fact that I at least have one Stanley Cup playoff point to my to my name and to my career. It always shows up in the hockeydatabase.com. So you finished out your season, your 82-83 season. Just to kind of bring it all back and, and summarize everything, was this one of the highlights of your career this season? Oh, absolutely it was. Absolutely. Playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um really overachieving and uh, being called up again from the minors and, you know, trying to fight every game, not just try to fight to stay in the lineup every game and uh, not really knowing, you know, what, what is going to lie for me uh, in the future. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was the pinnacle of my career to to play uh, that season with Washington. Well, thank you for taking us back in a time machine for the 82, 83 season. What are you up to now? Tell everybody what you've been up to the past few years. Oh well, Brett, I uh, I'm really lucky. I had a, I I have him, I call him like my guardian angel, and it happened about 22 years ago. We owned and operated a restaurant. We sold that. My wife became a, a wonderful teacher in the community here. She teaches school, and um, I was out looking for a job in a small community and. Uh, and everything happened for a reason. I happened to be coaching a peewee team, and I get a call, and a guy wants to come out, inviting himself to come out on the ice with me, so his, you know, his kid feel more comfortable. And I wasn't too fond of that. Oh, sure. I, I said, sure, why not? Well, I had, I was really had a good practice lesson plan, practice plan, and I had him doing everything. And after the, after the practice, he after he offered me a job. I said, well, what type of job would you be thinking of offering me? He said as a salesman to sell some lumber for me. And I said, I don't know anything about lumber. And uh, 22 years later, I uh, I never thought I'd say this, but yeah, I don't pretend to be an expert, but there's uh, there's a lot of things I know about lumber in the lumber industry, in the softwood lumber industry. And uh, we have a, uh, a planing mill facility and 
We uh, remanufacture a lot of eastern white pine into housing components and we sell trusses and pretty well anything you can build a home with. And uh, yeah, I was, I'm really fortunate that I work for a great guy by the name of Brian Lawrence. He loves hockey and, you know, it's just like um, running it like a hockey organization. I'm the general manager, he's the owner. We talk about our players and how we can improve our, our business and we go over game plans for clients to try to dig and door knock for customers. It's great. It's a great challenge every day, Brett. And where can people find you if they want to tune into you, hear you speak? I understand that you have a little bit of a speaking gig. Yeah, I'm the color analyst for the North Bay Battalion up in North Bay in the Ontario Hockey League. And you can tune into the Ontario Hockey League live stream. It costs you about uh, six or seven Canadian dollars. And you can watch the North Bay Battalion play against top-notch clubs like the London Knights and Dale Hunter. He used to be uh, mm-hmm. Washington Capitals, retired number 32. And, yeah, so we, we, do, the, we, do, we do the game on TV, and uh, we usually have a one-up, one-down segment. Um, it's the big show up in North Bay. It's like their National Hockey League uh, Hockey Night in Canada broadcast, but it's just at the junior level. So that's what I'm involved in up there. And it's as close as I can get to the game as possible without putting the skates on. <laughs> I, and I've seen you do it. I had the OHL package the past two years. I haven't renewed it because I just moved. But you do a oh, fantastic yeah. job. I can't thank, thank you enough for giving me a couple minutes of your time tonight, man. Thank you. Hey, no problem, Brett. Any anytime. So uh, I really want to thank you for the opportunity of sharing my experiences on your podcast program. I really enjoyed it. I still can't believe that the entire Washington Capitals team got robbed. How unbelievable is that? I just, I love that story. And don't get me wrong. I'm not happy they got robbed. I I think that's terrible. And I never wish anything bad upon anybody. Life's hard enough as it is. We don't need curveballs thrown at us like, you know, losing your wallet and stuff like that. But seriously, it's crazy. I mean, that is crazy. And who knows if I would have heard that story if it weren't for Greg sharing that with me on this interview. So I'm really glad he stopped by and want to thank him again for coming by and chatting with us. Got a lot more interviews in the pipeline. I actually have about five to record over the next two weeks. So if I'm a little slow in responding to emails or Facebook messages, I apologize between the research and doing the interviews. It's going to be a busy few weeks, Um, but we're going to continue to grow this thing. As long as you guys keep listening and keep enjoying it and are willing to put up with me and we can have players that come on, which so far so good. uh, We're going to have a lot more of these snapshots in hockey history. So have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday at 8 a.m. for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. 